Episode 297 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log with Garmin Pilot. The Pilot to Pilot podcast is brought to you by Learn the Finer Points. Use the link below to save 10% off their ground school app. Aviation, there's a new offer from SiriusXM. Make sure you upgrade your next flight without upgrading your plane by getting the Garmin GDL52 portable receiver. The GDL52 has ADSB traffic and weather plus SiriusXM weather and entertainment. It has Bluetooth and works with Garmin Pilot apps. For a limited time, you can get a $300 rebate on the GDL52 Plus. It comes with a free three-month trial of SiriusXM's weather and entertainment. I love flying with SiriusXM, and it's honestly one of my favorite features about having the G5000. So the GDL52 will offer you a very similar outlook on the weather and also get to listen to some awesome radio stations on SiriusXM. So check out the GDL52 at aopa.org slash SiriusXM. My name is Jim Les. I go by Clue. You can think about that one. And uh, I flew for the Air Force for 21 years. Flew F-111s, F-117s, T-38, F-16, and a brief stint in a uh, Global Express business jet. I attended the Air Force Test Pilot School. And when I retired from the Air Force, I started working for NASA Armstrong. It was called Dryden at the time, Dryden Flight Research Center. We're now Armstrong Flight Research Center. And I've been here for about 13 years. And Nils hired me. He's got a simpler background. Yeah. He'll tell you about his. Yeah, I'm Nils Larson. Uh, went to the Air Force Academy and then uh, became a first assignment instructor pilot. Uh, and then ended up uh, becoming a U-2 pilot, went to test pilot school, came out of there, ended up flying uh, F-15s, a bunch of other stuff in flight tests and stuff nobody's ever heard of. Ended up doing, uh, uh, taught at Navy test pilot school, came back, did some more U-2 flight test work, uh, and then eventually moved down the street here to NASA about 17 years ago to be a NASA test pilot. Hey, Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today's podcast is with NASA. We are talking with NASA's Quest Commission. We have Nils, and we also have Clue. They are two test pilots that are going to be flying an X-plane. They are going to be trying to dampen the sonic boom. It's a crazy cool mission and one that I was very honored for them to reach out and have this opportunity to interview them. And I also said to them multiple times to please let me interview them separately so we can talk about their actual aviation story because... One, they have great personalities, and two, being a test pilot is so cool. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. Uh, It's really cool to see the scientific research that's going into sonic booms uh, and supersonic flight as there seems to be a need for supersonic flight coming back again. You know, the Concorde was a long, long time ago. So uh, it's time to start going fast again. So Aviation, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you do, check out the Pilot to Pilot hats. You can buy those. There's a link in my description of this podcast episode and also in Instagram page. So check those out. Aviation, I want to keep you any longer. Without any further ado, here's Nils and Clue on the NASA Quest mission. Thank you for joining me today on the Pilot the Pilot podcast. We have Clue and Nils today. They are test pilots for NASA and they do some amazing stuff. So they are here to talk about what they do and a, a cool project they got going on. So thank you guys for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, anytime. So uh, I, I know we kind of did a little pre-recording, uh, we will say, but I'm really interested to see 
how you became a test pilot. Cause you hear about it, you know, you hear about the people flying all the cool stuff, um, doing all this crazy stuff. You see it on um, Top Gun, right? Where he's going Mach 10, the plane explodes, they jump out. That's kind of what people might be thinking about test pilot now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so share a little bit about how you become a test pilot and then maybe a couple stories or two if you have any. Okay. Uh, to become a test pilot, to do the kind of things we're doing, you need to go to a test pilot school. Um, which generally means the U.S. Air Force Test Pilot School or the Navy Test Pilot School. Um, There's also a civilian test pilot school in Mojave, just up the road from us here, called National Test Pilot School. Um, But that you've got to get somebody to pay the tuition for you. A couple foreign ones. There's some foreign schools. um, And there there are, through the military, there are exchange programs with those. But... uh, um, generally, you're going the military route, though there are a lot of civilian test pilots who have mostly done on-the-job training and, and worked their way up within uh, various companies like uh, Cessna or Beach. Um, the, the background, you generally need an engineering degree. Um, science, math. Science, math like that, yeah. might work, but uh, gen- generally we're engineers first. A lot of experience, you know, you're not going right out of college, you know, you got to get some experience. I think in the Air Force, I think it was a thousand Thousand hours, hours hours minimum in order to fly. It helped if you'd flown more than just one type of aircraft. Yep. Makes sense. Uh, (laughs) I got a couple hours in 172. I'm going to apply, see how that works. (laughs) You need a little more experience. Yeah, Yeah, I bet. Um, was the process something that you kind of always thought you wanted to do? Is this kind of like a goal you had since you started flying or was it just kind of, you know, this sounds cool. See if I can be a test pilot. But I actually joined the air force to be a test pilot. I mean, as a 16 year old, I had a instructor handed me, you know, book, uh, the book was the right stuff. Told me to read it. I read it and said, Ooh, I know what I want to be when I grow up and uh, had to, you know, map out how I was going to get there. And so that's how I ended up going to the air force Academy and, you know, always knew that I was going to apply to test pilot school someday. So, you know, I kind of already had that, that roadmap out. So it's, you know, if you think about it, it was like when I was 16, I think I decided I wanted to do that. And by the time I, I think I got selected, I was 30 years old, you know, when I, you know, got picked to go. And, you know, by the time I graduated, I was 31. So it takes a while, but I had a lot of fun getting there. So, yeah. Probably about the same age. I also read the right stuff. And I said, wow, that looks pretty cool. I, but I had no idea how somebody got into those positions. I figured that was for somebody else to do. Um, and I started looking into being an engineer. And then when I got involved with Air Force ROTC, I realized, hey, I could be a pilot. That might be more fun than just designing the airplanes. And then along the way in my Air Force career, I met guys who, who wanted to be test pilots as well. And I started realizing that that was something that I could do. That was not something for other people. I was actually on my way towards meeting the qualifications to be a test pilot. And when you're looking for, for someone, Nils, you said you hired Clue. So when you're looking for someone uh, to interview or even in an interview process, I'm guessing there are hundreds, if not hundreds of people that want to do this and apply. So you have some pretty impressive people. How can you stand out in that process? How can you kind of separate yourself? Uh, I know at the airlines, I always say when you're in an interview, they want to see if they can uh, go on a four-day trip with you and make sure they're not going to want to kill you at the end of the day. Is that somewhat similar with you guys too? Yeah, I mean, somewhat. I mean, it's not a huge community when it comes to test pilots. So you kind of know people, you know, you know, their reputations. Um, But probably the biggest thing is, you know, 
your experience, you know, so we, you know, almost everybody that we've hired in here lately has all been retired military when it came to our test pilots. Um, and much of that is just because, you know, when I see somebody who's, you know, doesn't have much experience, you know, and they're a test pilot versus I see Clue who's got how many different airplanes and how many programs did you fly? You know, it just becomes a lot easier to go, well, that's that he's going to be, you know, higher on the food chain to go interview. And for us, you had to actually come out and interview and we, you know, not just do a face to face, but we go fly with you to make sure that, you know, yep, you're, you're what we want. So, um, but On that's that flight. You start pulling circuit breakers and see how they deal with the no, stuff. No, no, nothing too bad. <laughs> a lot of what we do, cause we do weird maneuvers with the airplanes sometimes to go get the data we need. So, you know, he can probably tell you about that. The, the first time that, you know, I made him go out and fly the F-18 that he probably never, flew. never, but uh, no, I hadn't flown, flown an F-18 like that before. And then, yeah, then there were some maneuvers that for current test programs that were going on at the time. And he said, here, this is what you're going to do. And uh, we went up to 50,000 feet, got as slow as possible and dove it straight at the ground and um, recovered at a certain airspeed. Now, when you're a test pilot, is there an idea, like you think you know what's going to happen? Is it 50-50 that that's what actually happens? Like, do you get surprised more more often than you think? Or is it uh, what you think is going to happen? Is that normally actually happen? Uh, I'd say most of the time your predictions are pretty good. But there are times when things just aren't going the way you planned. I mean, that definitely are some times that that, that happens. But, um, but most of the time, you know, there are, it goes the way. And, and the times that it doesn't, a lot of times it's uh, more of a, airplane malfunction that I've yeah. run into anyway that, you know, you could have in your Cessna 172. Yeah. As far as a new design goes, modern computing technology allows us to have pretty accurate predictions how the plane's going to fly. We should not see any big surprises, but there's always going to be little areas. It's, the model is going to be good in some spots. It's going to be spot on in some spots, but then in other spots, it's going to it's going to be a little bit different than what we expected. And that's what we're, we're going out to look for as test pilots. And then the last thing, last bit based on just being a test pilot, um, how many of the stuff, how much of the stuff that you've worked on has either been a completed project versus like they just scrapped like, all right, never mind, put that away, file it away. It's gone. <laughs> I'd say most of what I worked on was fielded as an air force test pilot. I was testing F 16s and you might ask, well, that's not a new airplane. Um, but the military is continually upgrading. Uh, they're upgrading the engines, they're upgrading the flight controls, they're upgrading the mostly the software in the aircraft, they're upgrading the radar, they're adding new weapons. So most of the testing that I did was adding new capabilities, and most of that was fielded. It, it is interesting to see something that when I was flying it, it barely worked half the time, and now it's a regular part of of the aircraft and current pilots wouldn't think about going and flying without it. Yeah. I've actually had two airplanes that didn't pass that. Yeah, so two different programs that I was on, uh, that we, uh, you know, basically didn't go any further. Uh, but other ones are really rewarding. I mean, some of the stuff I did at NASA here was some of the earlier, well, not, probably more of the mid auto ground commission, ground collision avoidance testing, uh, that we did. And, uh, that was really cool because we did the last research phase, then it went over to the Air Force for development, and now that system has been out there on the F-16 and has saved 
think we're up to 12 lives and 11 airplanes. And it was some high risk testing. I mean, it was the one where my wife said, I don't want to know what you're doing today. Uh, so, uh, you know, and said, and, I, and you have my permission to lie to me when I ask you what you're going out to do. Uh, so it wasn't the, the, you know, it wasn't the safest stuff to go do. Uh, but when you, when you got that first email that it saved the first life and I showed that to her, you know, she, you know, I had, you know, hair on the back of my neck and chills and she did too. She goes, must make you feel pretty good. I said, yeah, that this guy is going home to his family. And if it wouldn't have been the research we did, they, he wouldn't have gone home. You know, he doesn't get much more rewarding than that, does it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that the work that you're doing is actually going in to save lives and it, yeah. it's got to feel pretty good. Yeah. And he did some of the early uh, auto uh, air collision avoidance work. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's a program that hasn't yet been fielded. Um, we hope that someday that will be. But it keeps progressing. But it's, it's, getting, it's getting better as it goes. Did you guys see the, I think was it, um, I think it was Turkey. Was it the F-18 or F-16? I can't think it was F-18 flying like five feet above the water. The viral video that's going out right now. No, I haven't seen that yeah, one. Yeah, it seen looks that. like it should be a test pilot doing that, but he's screaming Could as be. low you as he can go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe watch it after this. It'll be good. Yeah. Um, right. So yeah, so we are here to talk about a, a cool project you guys are doing. You guys want to explain a little bit? Sure. Well, the, the X-59 is the airplane. It's part of a program called Quest. Um, but we like to talk about the airplane because that, that's the fun part. Yeah. Um, it is an X-plane. It's designed to show that you can fly supersonic and have a quiet sonic boom or what we like to call a sonic thump. We, we, have, a, we have props here with us real quick. I can show you it's in the screen, a model. Um, but the real airplane is supposed to be rolling out tomorrow right. in Palmdale. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no. so it's uh, kind of, you know, coming out tomorrow, it's basically you always see, you know, the uh, program managers and people, you know, talking and, and kind of showing the public, you know, the airplane that, you know, we're going to get to go fly eventually sometime, hopefully this year. Uh, it's still, you know, it's right in between its production and uh, the ground test. So there's a little bit of ground test that's been done and there will probably be a little bit more production that has to happen. But generally speaking, we're now really into the uh, phase where you're going to see a lot of the ground tests going on and eventually leading up into the flight tests. So which, you know, so it's an exciting milestone to to get to, to, you know, Clue got to two weeks ago, got to sit in the airplane, I think, for the first time. And that's and touch the airplane. You know, most of the time we weren't allowed to touch it, you know, because we weren't building it. We're supposed to fly it. You know, they're going to let us touch it eventually. But, you know, so two two weeks ago we got to actually touch it. So that was pretty special. But but that rollout tomorrow, uh, other people can join too. So you can find it on the NASA streaming service, which is NASA Plus, or you can find it uh, on YouTube, I think, on our channel there. And uh, if you got NASA TV, you know, with whatever provider you're using, uh, that would be another area. Or if you can't find it, just Google NASA, you know, X-59 rollout, probably find it somewhere. Else. Something will be there. Yeah, it's a, it's a big ceremony. Um, the airplane is Finally, all put together, painted up in uh, nice NASA colors, and uh, not quite ready to fly, but no, ready, a, ready to day, yeah. ready to roll out and, and be introduced to the public. Um, and then, as Nils said, the next step is a lot of ground checks to make sure that all the systems are working to, together correctly, and ultimately leading towards uh, first flight. 
So when we're talking about reducing kind of like the sonic boom, right? When everyone thinks about that loud noise, you know, you cover your head and windows breaking everywhere. Um, when we talk about reducing that, is that going to be for future technology to use in airliners or corporate jets? Or is this going to be specifically kind of on the NASA, the military side? Well, no, I mean, uh, we're doing this for everybody else. Like right now, you don't get to go supersonic. You know, we do, but you don't. Uh, but we'd like everybody to go supersonic, you know, so you can get everywhere twice as fast or maybe even a little bit more than twice as fast. So, you know, the technologies we are developing here, and this is not a prototype, it's an X-plane. So the technologies we're developing, hopefully you would see the DNA essentially from this eventually be on that supersonic airliner or supersonic business jet, you know, that uh, other contractors out there would develop. So, you know, for us, it's cool to get out, to go out there and do this research, but it's really, you know, the, the contractors that are going to, you know, take this technology and then go build those, you know, airliners or biz jets or whatever. Yeah, a lot of people probably don't realize that most of the technologies in a modern airliner that make it quieter, safer, more fuel efficient, those technologies were developed by NASA. And NASA shares whatever we, we come up with. We're not doing this for ourselves. Uh, we're trying to, to push the technology. What can you say that we've learned from, uh, obviously, the Concorde? Uh, military jets that can go supersonic. What have they learned up until now? Because there hasn't been a mass-produced airplane for civilians um, since the Concorde, right? Um, that was, what, the 1960s? And you would think 50 years, 60 years has gone by. you think we'd either be going faster or we'd be continuously doing it, right? Uh, so what have we learned from where you guys are today about kind of flying supersonic and um, just what it's going to look like either in 5, 10, 15 years? Uh, I'll, I'll change your, your question a little bit. The, the reason that we haven't seen supersonic travel become widespread really is the ban on supersonic flight. Um, 50 years ago, 1973, uh, the FAA banned supersonic flight over land for everybody but the military and the government. And most other countries around the world have done the same thing. So that's put a, a big restriction on supersonic Aircraft. Not too many people want to buy an aircraft that they can only fly over the water. So we are trying to change that with the X-59. Yeah. So instead, you know, if we can make the boom into a thump, you know, so when you look at the different phases for this airplane, the first phase is making sure that all the models and technology, you know, that it actually produces what we think it will produce, you know, that, that thump. Uh, then what we're really going to do, and this is unique for an X-plane, is we're going to take it to a community near you. Because we need the public to tell us what is acceptable. You know, it's, who cares what I think? You know, we need uh, people on the ground, you know, people that live in, you know, cities that tell us, you know, that that's fine. If that's good, you know, go make it that. So we take that data, we get it to the regulators, and then it's their job to hopefully, you know, change that uh, speed limit to a sound limit instead. And then let us, you know, let people go build these things and go supersonic overland. Yeah. And if uh, you need a city to test it out, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, so feel okay. free. You know, there's, there's not a ton of people here. There's uh, some military space kind of close by. So uh, just let me know. I'll coordinate it. All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. I'll stand out there with my mic. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're, we're actually going to have uh, cell phone apps out there for anybody that wants to volunteer. And then we'll be looking for their feedback. So I'm guessing you guys have flown supersonic uh, 
more than once, right? So you're probably used to it. Yesterday, yeah. Go ahead and brag. My citation latitude does not go that fast. So yeah. <laughs> I'll appreciate that. But uh, what's it like inside the cockpit? Like we all on the ground kind of get an idea of what it's like outside the cockpit, what it's like inside the cockpit. It is a lot different. It, we don't know we're supersonic if our gauges don't tell us. Yeah. Um, I had been flying in the Air Force, flying supersonic for years and had never actually heard a sonic boom myself. And I was very startled the first time I heard it. I was in my, I was living in New Mexico at Holloman Air Force Base. In my base house, I thought somebody had thrown something at the, the side of the house. I did not know what I was listening to. Um, it was loud and startling and uh, it's disruptive. It'll wake your, your said your uh, child is sleeping right now. It would wake them up. Yeah. Um, don't do that then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and most people don't realize they've heard a sonic boom because thunder is a sonic mm-hmm. boom. So, I mean, it's a little different than an airplane because thunder, you just get a bang where when you have an airplane, it's a boom, boom because you have the front and the tail shock. So if you, you have that, that sounds a little bit different, but it's still very startling. Yeah, I grew up in North Carolina. A lot of people don't realize is that the sonic boom is not just produced at the moment that you go supersonic. Anytime an airplane's traveling supersonic, it's taking that shock wave with it and laying down a sonic boom plus or minus probably 20 to 30 miles either side of the flight path. Yeah. So a supersonic jet traveling across the country will overfly a lot of people. And if it's loud and and disruptive it's not going to be acceptable yeah so that's why we're trying to make a thump so yeah. instead of a boom and it, it we think it's going to sound a little bit like somebody slamming a car door or maybe you know distant rolling thunder so how how do you do that like what is obviously you're not just hoping it's going to do it you have an idea of what right. is going to happen or how you're going to make that happen so what's the the so-called secret behind it here it is. The, the secret is really in the shape of the aircraft, and the, the short answer is long and skinny. Mm-hmm. The X-59 is 100 feet long, uh, 99.7. It has one seat in it. It's uh, designed just for the test pilot. Wingspan is only 30 feet, and the nose is actually 38 of, of this aircraft over one-third of the aircraft. So, yeah, that the way, yeah, the way it kind of works is every time you – you have a, a change, you know, in the airplane, you know, where a canard comes off or the wing comes off or any change, you end up getting a shockwave. So, you know, in this airplane, when you look at it, that big long nose, part of the idea is to keep those shockwaves separated because when they are close together, they kind of tend to come together and then reinforce each other, you know, so that it remains strong. So if you can keep them parallel and separated instead of getting that, that reinforced, you know, uh, loud boom, hopefully you get something that's a little bit more subdued. Are there any other kind of question here that says, well, what are the two goals of the quest mission? Obviously the first goal is to go from a boom to a thump. What's the other goal? Right. Well, that's that thing we were talking about when it comes to, uh, figuring out how, what, how loud is too loud. So there's two. One is, you know, validate that you can actually do this, you know, and produce something that's reproducible, you know. And then the other one is, you know, go out there and actually get the data to uh, potentially change the actual regulation. Are we expecting, so obviously this plane is designed to do a thump instead of a boom. Are we expecting the very first flight, you're pushing throttles, you're going for it to be 
quieter or are we kind of like we don't know how much quieter uh well yeah if you're talking about the sonic boom on the first flight yeah i'm not gonna even put the gear up yeah yeah Um, baby steps baby sorry (laughs) but the first supersonic (laughs) there you go sonic flight we we expect to find out what it sounds like yeah it's not like there's a special switch or a cloaking device we can turn on or something like that it should you know because of the design of the airplane we would hope that uh, you won't hear that boom might be the chase's boom next to you, you know, because he's not designed to be, you know, quiet. quiet. Yeah. So, uh, but we're really hoping that you'll hear that thump instead of a boom. There are some small things we can do without major modifications to the airplane that will change the sonic boom. This is a fairly precise science. We can move the fuel around to change the CG, which then changes the the trim surfaces changes the center of pressure of the aircraft a little bit um, to to change that boom. But we're there's not a lot that we can do. So yeah. and they, the and first boom should be what we're close to what we're going to get. And they have shaped. There's a sonic boom demonstrator that was out there that's I don't know at least twenty or more twenty years or something old, uh, where they modified an F five so that they know that you know. And this was mostly modified in the nose, and they actually you know. I've gone out and flown this airplane and said, look, okay, that did what we thought it would do. So some of this technology is somewhat proven, but it's not one where we've put it all together before. Got it. Cool. And then when you yourselves, you know, when I think of myself, um, let's say I upgrade to an airplane, uh, this airplane's been flying usually for a long time. How do you prepare to fly a plane that's kind of never flown before? Did they build a simulator with this as well? Like, are you in a simulator? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're in a simulator right now, kind of going through everything, going through emergencies, flows, and all that kind of stuff to prepare you for that. Okay. Yeah, that was going to be my question. How do you prepare yeah. for a plane that's never flown before? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> got, yeah. practice, practice, practice. Yeah. I think I've, yeah. you know, we're not, you know, I've already got like 300 hours in the simulator already. We're probably going to have more time in the simulator than we'll ever get in, in the, the actual in the real airplane. airplane. Yeah. Um, uh, who gives you an oral or a check ride for a plane that's never flown before? Is someone else ahead of you that has more hours? Yeah, he'll test me. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and the first time you yeah. go, it basically the chief pilot looks at all the training you've done and all the simulation you've done and everything, and basically says you're qualified, and you go. And then usually, once that person gets back, then they're the IP for the other person. You find <laughs> so, out whether the training was yeah was correct or not. Yeah. Uh, and then when you're going into the plane for the first time, what's usually your feelings? Um, all right, let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor, RAA. As a pilot, you rely on precision planning, trusted resources, and experience each day. And that's just what RAA brings to financial planning. You see, they're uniquely positioned to serve the airline community because RAA was created by pilots to serve pilots, which is why they've earned the trust of and served thousands in aviation industry for more than three decades. But more importantly, RAA's airline specialized advisors understand the unique set of needs, challenges, and goals associated with your career, including those factors that can affect your financial life and security. And that's why it's important to work with the right financial partner. Because whether you're just entering the airline industry or nearing your final flight, the team at RAA is here to support your journey from takeoff to touchdown. Learn more about the benefit of working with an RAA airline specialized advisor today at raa.com slash pilot to pilot. That's RAA. Dot com slash pilot to pilot. Now back to today's episode. Are you more excited? Are you a little bit, you know, first plane, you don't really know how it's going to react. Are you a little nervous or kind of a mix of both? I will say we've never, never flown an X plane, a supersonic manned X plane before. Yeah. So 
not really sure what it's going to be mean, like. Yeah, but I mean, even the just back. some of the ground testing we've got to do, it was really cool getting to strap into the thing. I mean, you, you've been in the air, you know, in the sim all the time, but it was really cool to finally, you know, sit in the actual airplane, strap into it, have the displays up and running. And, you know, and it starts to really feel real, you know, you get excited from that. The, uh, you know, it, it's kind of weird. I think my younger son who's uh, 16 or this is 15, but you know, he, he, he always re- refers to it as nerve sighted. Because I'm both nervous and excited. So, <laughs> I like that. I must okay. do that. Yeah, so I don't know if I'll be excited or nerve sighted. So you'll three pour back. A lot of thoughts about the the pilot's prayer. Dear Lord, don't let me screw up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and going on to X planes, are X planes kind of the final be all uh, for solving a problem? Usually, um, it's it, sometimes. I mean, if you look at the way they've been used, you know, throughout, uh, you know, ever since the first. X plane was the X one that broke the sound barrier. So usually they're out there to, you know, develop new ideas, new technologies where you actually have to have a new physical thing and not, not just put it in the, you know, in the wind tunnel or something like that. So, um, you know, when it comes to the technology, you know, maturation, they are pretty close to the end of the line, you know, and then soon after that's when you'll see them start to flow into, you know, real, you know, actual production i don't know what do you think and nils talked about the the shaped boom demonstrator of 20 years ago that showed that we could affect the front shock right but that was not a complete solution this is the only way to show a quiet supersonic airplane is to go and build one all the predictions in the world aren't going to get any aircraft manufacturers to take the chance of building something that they're hoping is going to be be quiet enough to be feasible. So we have to go do this. And the X plane is the only way. Yeah. And it's a perfect mission for NASA. I mean, as Clue had talked about before, you know, all the stuff we do that goes off to, you know, contractors and other people to go use that technology and use the stuff that we've developed. So, you know, the taxpayers pay our salary to go out there and develop these new technologies and let other people go take that. And they're the ones that make the money. We don't make any money. off. <laughs> well, I mean, the timing seems right too, because there, there's more private money coming after supersonic flight, right? With, um, yeah. I mean, the biggest company I think of is boom, uh, yeah, in Greensboro, yeah. North Carolina. So they were, they're really hoping that they can make it work. And I'm sure they're going to be watching you guys closely to see how yeah. this works out. So, uh, it, it's really exciting. I mean, the technology is there to go supersonic, right? We talked about it with the Concorde and the military has been doing it forever. Um, and from what I know, the the Global 7500 that just came out, they actually had to break the sound barrier in that so they could get their certified at Mach 9.6 or 9.5 or whatever it is. So yeah, the planes yeah, can yeah. do it. It's just, we got to get this, uh, get this, get this rolling. So uh, mm-hmm. it's really cool what you guys are doing. I got a couple, um, let's see, I got a couple uh, quiz questions for you. If you've heard uh-huh. these a million times, you got to pretend like you haven't, all right? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I got, uh, let's see, we got a couple of them, but I'm going to ask, go randomly. I'm going to go out of order just in case you memorize them. Uh, you can um, throw in some of your own there, see if you can trim them. All right, let's see. Right. I'll make him into them. So, <laughs> you guys ready? Anymore, though, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. How, no, yeah, let's do that one. How many people can fly in the X-59? We'll start easy. One. Just one of us. Yeah, <laughs> at a time. Yeah. So when you when you guys are doing that, um, we'll, I'm guessing both will be there on the ground, kind of listening in. Are you guys always required to be there for each mission, or is like one person's off, one person's on? Uh, 
we have a chase pilot usually. Uh, there's like right now there's three pilots. You know, there's a Lockheed pilot and then the two of us. Uh, so frequently, you know, you'll need a chase pilot, and it doesn't have to be an X-59 pilot necessarily to fly the chase, but we might probably be, will be. It probably will be, especially in the beginning. And then uh, one might be in a control room. You know, just because you have the experience in case they run into issues, you know, you have some advice to give. Well, the X-59's engine is from what type of aircraft? Oh, the F-18 Super Hornet. Yep, EFNG. Yep. What feature does X-59 not have? There's multiple choice here. It says, this is, I didn't write these, so don't come at me. Uh, a, a landing gear. B, a front window or windshield. C, a seat. Or D, an empennage. Well, you get this one, Nelson. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't have a front windscreen. So this is something that's relatively unique uh, to the airplane in that uh, because that big, long nose, you know, there is no front windscreen. So our front windscreen is virtual. So it's a camera on the top, and then there's one that we can deploy, you know, when we come into land or take off that comes out the bottom, and they can stitch it together, and we have a display uh, in front of us that is just dedicated to the visual system and uh, it was developed by some people at nasa uh, and uh, out there at nasa langley and we've done some research flights with it and that was pretty good you know, and yeah. we uh, we mounted it on a king air went out and flew that we had one pilot sitting up front looking for traffic and another sitting in the back using the display and it turns out with the uh, the camera system we were actually able to see the traffic earlier than with the naked eye yeah so, and, and this technology is, this is one of the technologies that may leak over into other uh, aircraft, like, well, or even spacecraft, because uh, the uh, astronaut office uh, talked to us about this technology, and they've been talking to the guys at Langley there, and uh, it turns out that they may want to put this in some of their, you know, human landing systems up there, you know, onto the moon. For landing on the moon yeah. or Mars. Yeah. Where what you do you think about? Inside the, the spacecraft, you can't really see where you're landing because it's below you so a, a camera system would would meet that need yeah even and on a smaller I, scale of yeah. the king air like you talked about just being able to, to notice traffic yeah. uh flying in south florida or the northeast oh, you yeah. know you're getting a That's tara or, or an ra like every other day so mm -hmm. uh have an ai mixed in there and it can maybe even highlight the plane for you and that's what it does well, we, we are going to we should see boxes put around any kind of tcas or uh, ADS adsb traffic that our system detecting will get a box so we know where to look on the screen and try to pick the aircraft up. And then what kind of screens are we talking? Are we talking about like a Samsung 4K TV like up there? Yeah, or is it like a ultra high depth? Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Just go to Best Buy, pick one up and put it in the yeah, yeah. it's, it's got The problem is you got to have like the, uh, you know, I don't know what you call it. It's not necessarily military grade, but it's got to be flight worthy. So, yeah, you yeah. know, so, and so there's the environment that you're taking you know, up in an airplane is a little bit different than your living room. So, yeah, I don't think my Samsung is going to do well at 51,000 feet. So, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's see what else we got. Um, what will be the cruising speed of the X 59? Mach 1.4. Yep. That's what we're shooting for. Yeah. What's, uh, is there a red line for it? Uh, we think it'll do 1.5. Uh, I think red line's actually a little bit more than that, but I don't think we have anything to do more than about 1.5. So, we might take it to 1.55 just to show that there's a little margin. Right. But that, that's one of the things as we start flying it, the engineers will refine their predictions and and come up with a, 
a good red line that they don't think we should exceed. And then uh, who's going to take the first fight? Oh, yeah, that's Dan Kanan, who's the uh, Lockheed guy. The guy who's not here. Yeah, the guy who's not here, yeah. So, but yeah, he's been working on this. Well, not necessarily quite as long, but about as long. You know, he and I helped write some of the specifications for the airplane. And then uh, Dog is the uh, Lockheed pilot. But he's developed a lot of the displays, a lot of the, you know, he's, um, you know, we're all intimately involved with the airplane, but he's a lot more directly involved with uh, a lot of the design where he, you know, is the one that, that, you know, makes logic choices, you know, he checks with Clue and I, and, you know, we all kind of come together, but because he's the one that's actually part of the contractor that's building the airplane, you know, he is much more, you know, sleeves rolled up and, and truly the expert in the airplane. Now, when we're coming to the land, you know, I'm, from what I remember from the Concorde, um, you could change the nose pitch a lot. Mm-hmm. Similar with this, or is it a fixed nose pitch since you don't have to worry about you seeing outside the windshield, or is it very similar? Uh, good it's, question. You, you yeah. figured it out right there in your in your question. Is yeah, we're using the camera, but there's no there's no droop to the nose. Uh, it's just that that lower camera is picking it up, and you know, hopefully, it's still running. So but it's actually three cameras. The, the camera system is a lot simpler a solution than trying to to bend and droop that huge nose. So. Is there a, a fail safe to the camera? I mentioned you mentioned that you have three camera systems, but on the unlucky day, you're down to number three. Are you kind of sweating bullets of uh, you got to land it somehow? We land F-15s and F-18s from the back seat where you yeah. can't really see around. Tail draggers, a lot of tail draggers, you can't, you can't see, see the runway yeah. when you're touching down. So we just need to get down close enough so we can see a little bit of runway out each side. We do have windows. Well, we have a whole canopy that we can look up and we can look either way. And yeah. so we just have to get close and we'll, we'll land it just fine. Yeah. Lindbergh did it, but you know, he can hang his head out the side. We can't really do that. Yeah. And the, the, you know, we were talking about the simulation training. So we'll be up there and the engineers will fail different stuff on us and we'll come in and, you know, land it based on all the other tools that we have available to us. So GPS is great. <laughs> GPS is amazing. Yeah. Gotta love GPS. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, last thing I'll ask you guys is what are you most excited about this mission? Ooh, that's a good one. Nobody asked me that. I mean, getting to, getting to fly an X plane, of course, is exciting. As a test pilot, that is a a rare opportunity. Um, but I think what I'm looking forward to is going out and flying it over a community for the first time and and seeing what the result is. Yeah. I think this has been exciting for us, but the really cool thing is, to see how excited the general public is about this idea. When we've gone out and talked to people and they're ready, they're like, hurry up with that thing, will you? Uh, so it's, you know, that to me has been one of the things, I mean, we're both geeky science kind of people from the beginning and, you know, and, you know, blazing new trails and that kind of stuff. I'm just really looking forward to what we're going to learn from this. And, uh, and ultimately, you know, seeing this eventually lead to, you know, supersonic flight over land that to me will be very cool to see. Yeah. And I said last question, but these are the easier questions. Yeah, but, uh, where can we, where can we find more information out? Um, website, uh, obviously we talked about tomorrow is a big day for you guys. Um, NASA plus you mentioned a bunch of other ways that we can go ahead and watch it, but if there's a dedicated site for this, uh, can you tell me what that is? There is, it is uh, nasa.gov forward slash quest Q U E S S T. Yeah. S S like supersonic. So yeah. And there's a lot of information on there, a lot of artist conceptions of the airplane flying that we're soon going to be replacing with 
real pictures of the airplane right. flying. Um, there's even 3D models that if you have a 3D printer, you can yep. download the model and print yourself a, a little mini X-59. Yep. I was going to ask, how do I get the X-59 model that you guys had in your hand? Is like, can I go buy one of those? <laughs> you, you can. They're, they're not cheap. <laughs> so, but yeah. One day. I'll just buy a printer and then I'll print it out. Probably there the easier way. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I got for you guys. Uh, I appreciate your time. Um, Clue, Nils, this has been a lot of fun. I look forward to, to seeing tomorrow, checking in, and then kind of following along with this. It'd be really cool to, to have you on again. Uh, we can we can share what you learn and or right. what you're allowed to share, I should say. But uh, we can do some cool podcasts out of it. So thank you so much for for coming on and really excited about this. Uh, like like you said, uh, the public's ready for something like this, and it seems like people are ready to spend the money that want to build the airplane. So uh, it's all coming together at the right time. So thank you guys so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having you. That is a wrap on today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening to it. If you enjoyed it, go ahead and check out NASA. They told you where you can find more information. Check that out. They just released the airplane a couple days ago, so it's crazy cool to see. And, uh, I need to buy a 3D printer, so if anyone wants to lend me their 3D printer, let me know because I want to print one of those models because I said the original models. Crazy expensive, uh, so we got to get one of those. But Aviation, I hope you're having a great day, and as always, happy flying. Pilot Pilot LLC is compensated to make recommendations to his or her followers regarding the services of RAA or Allworth Airline Advisors, companies of Allworth Financial, LP, or Allworth. Promoter is not an employee or investment advisor representative of Allworth. Promoter is a current client of Allworth. Allworth pays promoter a fee of $4,000 a month for sponsorship of the Pilot Pilot podcast. Due to the compensation arrangement between Allworth and Promoter, Promoter has an incentive to recommend Allworth resulting in a material conflict of interest. Promoter's role on behalf of Allworth is limited strictly to making recommendations regarding the services of Allworth, introducing or referring prospective clients to Allworth. Promoter has no responsibility with respect to Allworth's investment advisor or other advisory services.